Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got a great show. We're going to be talking about safety. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about all kinds of safety, but specifically project safety. Uh, Things that um, honestly just get mm, prioritized lower, right? (laughs) Like uh, Tony and I were talking about this you know, before the show, we're like, you know, w- when you have a ladder, there are certain rules that go into effect when you're working with a ladder. And everybody's been that guy. Everybody's been that person. Uh, the Clark Griswold. We were talking about, we were talking <laughs> about that movie, uh, Christmas Vacation. I love that movie this time of year. And uh, there's a funny part where he's putting Christmas lights up on his house. He's using an he, extension he's ladder. Using an extension ladder, and he he puts it up upside down. Climbs all the way to the top, and he doesn't realize it until he falls. It doesn't. He doesn't fall. It's kind of a funny thing. He just kind of collapses. Yeah, the two the, the two sections of extension ladder collapse because it wasn't locked into place properly. Right. I mean, and it's simple stuff like that where we've all done it, and we've we've pushed those limits. And uh, how, I told Tony, I mean, you're not supposed to step on the top rung of a ladder. Right. How many times have you done that? This is not a step. Everybody's seen that, right? <laughs> this is this is not a step is not a suggestion. Right, it's not a suggestion. That's the thing. And so so we're just going to um we're gonna go over a a, a whole myriad of safety things um to bring them to the forefront in your mind. Here's the thing. Everybody knows not to do things that could cause them harm or things that are dangerous. But oftentimes uh, we need to be reminded. Right, we just need to be reminded that this is something that is important and dangerous, and help you to bring it to the forefront. So we're and then some of the stuff you might not know, you may not have heard, um, and so we're gonna we're gonna share some insight, what we know about um, safe practices. Um, you know, when you're working around the house and um, doing a project, sometimes the project Corey becomes the priority, right? You you've got the material and it's sunny outside and you've only got a short period of time to get it done and speed and result become the priority and not safety. And really, ultimately, what we don't think about is because we say to ourselves, it's not going to be me. I mean, that happens to people, but it's not going to happen to me. Right. Because I'm safely not using my product safely. Well, here's I'm, here's a classic I'm safely example. not being safe. <laughs> you're you're for sure being unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a prime example. Last weekend uh, it was nice out. Actually, it wasn't nice out. It wasn't raining too hard. Put it that way. And uh, I was putting up my Christmas lights last weekend and uh, my wife was gone. I put my son stayed home and he went down for a nap. And I said, man, this is. This is prime time to get some work done. So I said, I'm going to get up on the roof and finish out my my Christmas lights. The longer I was up there, I realized this is really dumb because my wife's gone. My son's three. I mean, he's sleeping. He doesn't know how to dial 911. <laughs> right. You know, even if I could yell loud enough to wake him up. Yeah. You know, if I would have fallen off that roof, 
I'd be in massive trouble. Yeah, but we never want to think about the things that could happen, right? We just want to think about uh, what we expect to happen, which is getting through the project safely and not having any issues, as opposed to thinking about um, the unthinkable, right? Uh, so and so that's the thing, Corey. You you were up there for a while before you were reminded that this was probably not the very best way to do things, right? Right. Uh, and so so that's what this show's about. This show's about reminding you about the things that we don't think about and uh, reminding you how important it is that we operate as safely as possible. A prime example, and we've we talked about we've talking about ladders. Um, the top step of a ladder is not a step. This is not a step. Actually, honestly, the step before the top step is not a step. Right. Uh, really, the third step from the top is the highest you should be on a ladder. And yet, uh, I find myself in a situation where I need to get two more feet. And uh, in order to do that, I would have to step on the top of the ladder. And do I not do it? No, I do it. I do. I safely do it. But I do it. And then Corey says, no, that's you don't understand. You can't safely be not safe. And yet we do it. So so we're going to uh, take this opportunity to just go over some um, some some very well known and some not so well known safety, good safety practices. Do you know where a really good place to start is Corey? I mean, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about equipment. We're going to talk about um proper safety practices. We're going to talk about uh, all of those things that you need to be thinking about during a project. But do you know where you start? You start with me, right? My mind. I need to be safety minded. If you're not safety minded, then it doesn't matter. All the stuff you know doesn't matter because you're not caring about it. You have to be safety minded. The first thing you need to do when you're starting a project and you're, you're visualizing how you're going to get it done, right? Instead of just trudging in. Um, Hammers ablaze. Without, without thinking. The first thing you need to do, anticipate the possible dangers. You need to anticipate those dangers, right? Um, I am going to be building um, a shed or a shop. And at some point, I'm going to need to be up on top of a ladder. And um, I need to know if my ladder is tall enough to get me to the top of that wall without being unsafe, um, it's something that I need to anticipate. I need to think to myself that I'm going to be using, um, blades, knives, the things that could potentially cut my skin. Do I have the proper safety equipment? Do I have gloves? So anticipating, um, potential dangers, right? Which basically just means stopping and thinking first and putting yourself in a mindset of safety. Well, it's about having the right equipment. Like you said, Knowing that you're going into a project that you're going to need an extension ladder. I need to reach the top of my gutters that are, you know, 24 feet up. You need to make sure that you have an extension ladder that's high enough or that's, that reaches high enough to be safe with. And, and just because it reaches that high doesn't mean it's safe. Right, because as we know, uh, if you're using an extension ladder, it needs to extend up beyond the surface that you're getting to by at least three feet. Right. Uh, so these are the things you need to anticipate. Uh, spend some time thinking about it and get yourself into a safety mindset. The second thing is is your housekeeping. You need to be um, thinking about the your environment, the area around where you're going to be working and thinking about keeping it clean. If you're only thinking about getting to the next part of the project, then you're not cleaning as you go. And picking up trip hazards, um, 
the things that are stacked in the way that shouldn't be there, you're going to have to move them. At some point during this project, I'm going to have to move that. Should I move that now and be ready? Right. That is actually a, a very good tip. Keeping a, uh, a clean project space is a safe project space. Like you said, I have done projects where I've had my table saw here and my chop saw over here on the ground, and you're trying to fit things in to cut them, and you're in precarious uh, places, get away from it and make it clean. That's a great tip. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more safety tips around the house. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back, fellow weekend warriors. Today in the show, we're talking about safety. Everything you need to know about job site safety, uh, your own safety. Um, far too often, people forget about it. They just want to get the job done, and uh, they start climbing up to the tippy top of that ladder, falling <laughs> off and breaking things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not good. I mean, it happens all the time, and and uh, there's a way. There's a way to avoid those things. And one of the things we were talking about right before we went to the break was just being safety minded, um, taking the time to consider the possibilities, uh, anticipate danger and proper housekeeping. We were talking about housekeeping, keeping things up off of the ground when you're cutting lumber or you're cutting pipe or, or whatever that it is. And you leave those cutoffs of material on the ground and then you're walking around, you're tripping on that stuff and uh, you know, you kick it out of the way and then it's in the way when you come back through the other way, pick that stuff up, keep a, keep a very safe, clean, and tidy environment around your project. Slips, trips, and falls are in the top five uh, accidents that take place at during projects at job sites. Slips, trips, and falls. And they have to do with uh, unsure, shoelaces. unsure footing, sometimes <laughs> shoelaces, um, and, and it's all about the environment. That's all about the environment. You have to just make sure that you take all of those anomalies out of the way so you're not tripping and slipping on things, which causes you to fall and hurt yourself. Another very important one, Corey, is, is lifting, right? The, 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 what we're doing with our body, oftentimes we get into a hurry and we lift things incorrectly. We wanted to go over a quick list with you, things to keep in mind when you're lifting uh around the home or during yeah, lifting during a anything project. heavy yeah. yeah anything heavy uh first off you want to keep a wide base of support your feet should be shoulder width apart uh one foot slightly ahead of the other uh kind of like a karate stance <laughs> yeah and uh, you want to squat down don't bend over with the you know from your hips you want to bend at the hips knees or you don't want to bend at the hips you want to bend with your knees right um then you if you need be you can put one knee on the floor and leave the other knee up, and as you grab whatever it is you're grabbing. Right. It's important to keep good posture. Uh, look straight ahead and not down. Keep your back straight as possible and your chest out um, and your shoulders back, just like the drill instructor would tell you if you were in the military. Um, 
head up, chest out, shoulders back, and keep your back straight. This helps you keep your upper body straight uh, while while having a slight arch in your lower back. And so this is the safest way to keep from hurting your back. And make sure you take your time. Lift slowly. Um, keep your back straight and don't twist as you lift. If you've got to turn the thing that you're carrying, then move your feet, not your back. Twisting while you're carrying something heavy is uh, dangerous. And also hold uh, whatever it is that you're picking up, the box or whatever heavy, hold it as close to your body as possible. Um, and about the level of your waist, you know, right about where your belt is. And if you've got to, also, if you've got to change directions, if you're holding something, uh, don't don't uh, change directions with your hips. Don't right. don't rotate. Use your feet. Take small steps to rotate whatever it is, especially if it's heavy. Uh, you want to lead with your hips as you change direction. Uh, when you set it down, make sure you set it down carefully, squatting with the knees. Yeah. Uh, in hips only. You, you've heard it a thousand times, right? Lift with your knees and your thighs and not with your back, right? Your legs are equipped to take that kind of stress and your poor back is not. I actually have a tip if you need to move anything uh, really heavy, like an appliance or a couch, you need to lift it up. Uh, there are straps, they're called moving straps, uh, that you can buy. I bought mine on Amazon uh, that you put it on like a... Um, kind of like a harness. Yeah, like a harness. And in the front... Uh, there is a um, a piece of metal bracket that, that a strap goes into and it tightens up. And what you do, it's a single strap. So you roll it under whatever it is you want to lift up. You fish it under there like a, a dishwasher or a washing machine. You get your a partner to stand on the other side wearing the same strap. It's like a little harness. They uh, you, you each put your end of that strap into that metal uh, bracket. Then you tighten it up as tight as you can. So it's, and then you actually squat down a little bit. Bend in your knees. About uh, two, three inches. Yep. Tighten it up as tight as it can go. And then stand up with your knees and you literally lift that thing up about two to three inches off the ground and you carry it like it's nothing. Yeah, absolutely. The weight. That was the best 30 bucks I've ever spent. Yep. The weight's on your, your shoulders and your legs and uh, not your back. And you're really saving yourself. I mean, injuring your back, obviously, we don't have to tell you, is uh, is not something you want to do. So lifting carefully and carrying carefully is very important. I agree. Um, so here's another tip. Uh, if you're working on a project, Corey is the worst at this. If you're working on a project, right, and you get a little injury, you cut your finger or you, you shoot yourself in the leg with a nail you gun. Shoot yourself with a nail gun, or you know whatever it is, you strain something, or you roll your ankle, or you drop something on your toe. Um, you need to address that. Don't work through it. I know a lot of people will say, "I dropped something on my foot, and I'm afraid if I take my boot off, it's going to swell up. I'll never get my boot back on, and I'll never get back to work." Well, you know what? You need to address that. All injuries, little cuts, need a band aid to get some neosporin on there, and and a band aid. Um, and you need to address those, determine if it's, if it's something that needs to be seen by a professional or if it's something that you can put some ice on and it'll be okay, but don't guess, don't leave it unattended and work through it and guess that's just going to make it worse. Well, here's the thing too. If you've, if you've given yourself an injury, like you stepped on something sharp, uh, maybe a rusty nail or you've scratched yourself, um, Tetanus is a real thing. Tetanus is very common. It lives in the ground. Uh, it's almost on everything. It's very, very common. If you cut yourself and you can't remember the last time you got a tetanus shot, 
go in and get one. Yeah. Kind of hurts yep. for, for a day. Yeah. But uh, you don't want tetanus. You don't. Yeah. That's a bad deal. Um, but make sure that you give any and all injuries, no matter how slight or unimportant they seem to be, uh, give them the attention that they deserve. Uh, because otherwise it can just be, a, you know what? Your mind is not going to be focused on what you should be focused on safety and the project at hand. If you're constantly thinking or worrying about this potential little injury that you've got. So right. address it, give yourself some peace about it and move on. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about some basic safety equipment that everybody needs uh, before you start any project. And the first one that I'm a terrible offender about this is safety glasses. Safety glasses. They make safety glasses that are super dorky, that nobody wants to wear because they fog up, and they're usually free. You know, that everybody hands <laughs> yeah. them out. Hey, these are free safety glasses. They're, you wouldn't yeah. want to be caught dead in them because they're, they're really, terrible. They're really big, and they don't fit your head right, and they're clunky, <laughs> right? They look like those dilation glasses, but yeah. they're clear. <laughs> yeah. Those are terrible. They fog up super easy. Uh, they make so much better safety glasses now uh, they're really inexpensive. You can buy them for less than ten bucks. You yep. can even get them tinted. Yep. Like, uh, like cool shades. Yeah, you I can mean, get flames on them or red, <laughs> blue, orange, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you 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 want to wear safety glasses. I can't tell you how many times I have thought to myself, "Oh man, I need to get. I need. I should put safety glasses on here." But they're oh, they're way back in the garage. I'll just hit this really quick and be over. I'll close my eyes. You know, you just don't yeah. want to do it. I have had that happen where something has flown off and shot right back into my eye. Yeah. And I've been very lucky that it hasn't caused permanent damage. Yeah. But I will give you an example. Um, when my dad uh, was, when I was younger, my dad was a mechanic working out in the garage. He was on a grinder wheel cutting something and he just thought to himself, I'll cut this really quick. Well, a piece of metal fragment flew into his eye mm. and he ignored it. And a couple weeks later, it was super infected, and he had to go in and have surgery to have this little piece of metal removed from his eye. Yikes. That is, uh, yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, you will oftentimes you wear safety glasses and never have an instance, but uh, I've had things bounce off of my safety glasses, and I remember thinking to myself, boy, I'm sure glad I was wearing those, or that could have been trouble. We'll cover some more safety equipment that you should have with you when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Stay tuned. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today in the show, we've been talking about safety. Yeah, safety at the job site. Safety everywhere, really. Uh, it's, it's a very important topic. I feel like we get into a hurry Right. We're excited about the results of whatever it is that we're working on. And uh, and I think oftentimes we just set it aside. Right. But all this talk about safety, honestly, is making me hungry. And I feel like whenever I get hungry, I just want to get Pappy on the phone. 
Mr. Barbecue. What's up, brother? I am doing great. How are you? We're doing fantastic. We're talking about safety today and uh, the importance of it, of being safe when you're when you're doing projects around the house. Uh, you know, the first thing people want to do is rush into it. Um, I know we usually get uh, recipes from you, which I expect, but uh, maybe you could throw off some tips about uh, barbecue safety. Grilling, absolutely. yeah, grilling safety. It really, you know, absolutely, because there's so many ways that things can go wrong when you're barbecuing. Um, you know, you have, so I did a little homework for us. Um, in 2014, 16,600 people went to the emergency room because of injuries from barbecuing. 16,000 people. That's, that's, that's a lot of mistakes. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> Especially yeah. when you're doing so, something that, so, you're doing something that, uh, you know, makes you happy and then yeah. to have it, and then to have it blow up in your face is, uh, is literally, bad, yeah, it's a bad deal. I actually had a friend of mine's father uh, one time, um, the barbecue at Saddle Winter, and they didn't check total connections, and wouldn't start, wouldn't start, and after a few pumps and a few, you know, a bit waiting, they did it, it did finally go, and uh, knocked him on his tail, uh, burns on his hands and face, and uh, was in the hospital. So wow, it, it can definitely go crazy. You can go wrong. So you've got several things to talk about here. You've got safety issues with the barbecue, but you also got safety issues cooking. So we're going to talk about a little bit of both. So number one, if you're cooking around, you got to watch your grease traps on the on the grills. Um, the other issue on smokers, you got to make sure you get all the dust out of underneath, which people don't always do because that helps uh, make the fire burn correctly mm-hmm. and, uh, on, the, on the smokers. And in the past, when you don't, I've done it once, and um, it, it, it just blew up on me. It just, the dust in there ignited, and I had a fire in there, and uh, it was, I had to put it out. It was, it was very, very uh, uh, hot, and in fact, it actually burned the inside of the uh, barbecue. Oh. Paint off. Mm. Yeah. So I had to really be careful there. So we want to make sure. So if it's been sitting all winter, make sure all the connections are, are good. You got you got connections out there that have been sitting all winter. You've got uh, hoses that have been sitting all winter with the cold. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that everything is snug and tight. If you have to replace them, replace them. That's if you have gas. Is a 10 pound basically propane tank that's a bomb and have it go off. So one of the things you got to do is is. Make sure that all the burners, in it, it, you know, get in, tear your barbecue apart, get in there, make sure all the burners are clean. Um, you want to get in there and do a good scrub with a wire brush. One of the things you want to do also is make sure and replace your wire brushes. The last thing you need is those wire brushes to break loose, um, and then you got fibers in there that can get into your food that can cause problems. Oh, I've also, heard of that. Yes, yes, it's it's not cool. So, and, and the, the other issue is, you know, these these – a lot of these brushes are made in China now, and um, you can get them for four or five bucks a piece, or even a couple bucks a piece. Um, exchange them out. Don't don't wait till they get past the point of no return, and and just throw them and toss them and, and, and replace them. So we want to make sure of that. The other thing too is, and this is this is kind of a great way to really kind of sterilize your barbecue. The first go around, and it, it, you can actually do this after you barbecue each each and every time. 
crank the heat. Get that heat on there, close the lid, crank that heat, and that'll burn off everything on the grills, especially on, on propane tanks. Ones. Uh, that'll burn everything off. That sterilizes everything. You know, um, it just gets in there, and it'll get, you know, your gauge goes to 500 degrees, but it'll peg out, and it's really six 700 degrees in there, and that's going to kill a lot of germs, anything left in there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. make sure you burn it high. Burn it hot. Let it go for you know five ten minutes. Let it get everything cooking and good in there. So that that gets you to ready to barbecue for the spring and ready to go. Some of the other issues you got to do is make sure that when you're doing smokers, get all that dust out of there, vacuum it all out, get it all cleaned, and and make sure that 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 fire is burning correctly, the igniter works, and you don't have any issues. The other thing you got to be careful of: make sure your motherboard has been protected all winter mm, on the mm-hmm, smoker. Mm-hmm. Because those are expensive, and if you leave them out in the rain, they're going to have problems. They're not going to run correctly and efficiently. So make sure you take care of that. Now, let's get into food safety. Big, big, big thing here with you know pink to clear. I always talk about pink to clear. We need to make sure that when you're grilling, um, the grill's clean. There's no issues there. You know, uh, I've had mice get in mine over the winter. Make sure that's all cleaned out. Make sure that's all taken care of. And that when you crank the heat up, that'll also clean out anything there that might happen. But make sure the meat goes to the correct temperature. And in some of the cookbooks that we talk about, they talk about 185 degrees for this, 165 degrees for that. It really boils down to one thing. When the, the minute the juices are clear, you're done. So some might say ground beef 165. Well, if you're, burner is burning correctly and the middle of your burger is clear you're done and that's 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 just really a safe way to go so you don't get you know illnesses from eating raw meat or chicken or something like that so you got to be really really careful Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. the other issue is cross-contamination when you're preparing your food for example if you use a wood cutting board uh they're a little more porous Things don't tend to uh, leak as much as far as off the off the board, so I use wood I use wood cutting boards rather than plastic. Um, chicken is terrible. You want to make sure. In fact, there's some people now saying don't even rinse your chicken because the spray itself will get on your counters. So you got to be careful there. So um, ground beef. You don't want to cross contaminate ground beef with chicken. And you don't want the chicken juice left on the. You got to make sure you clean them every time, so there's no cross uh, contamination there for uh, meat. So you know, there's just some common sense items here you got to take care of, and you got to make sure that you know you're just not out there just firing stuff up out of the blue. You haven't checked it because you can cause all kinds of problems. And that just, I've got friends that have had issues and literally been burned by not following directions. Literally, yeah, I'm I'm remembering a a, a, co- a comment that you made to me um, about grilling safety in some years past, probably. Um, but you said the the easiest way to make sure that you're not cross contaminating is to make sure that your workspace where you're working is free of you know all of the stuff that's getting in your way. Make sure you've got a real exactly. clean workspace before you start, and then wherever that you know, chicken juice ends up going, you know, it's easy to clean because you don't have a lot of variables in your workstation. So start, it, starting it with a so clean true. workstation is is smart. Yeah, it is so true. Now, here, here's something else that, that, that's kind of ironic that, you know, years past, in the old days, everybody used these wood, wood butcher blocks, 
you know, you see them in houses now. They're worth a ton of money because they're so unique. But it's it wood's porous, and you never had the issue that you have now in meat shops because they've almost gone too sterile. And what I mean by that is they don't have wood blocks anymore, so there's no porous. They have plastic cutting boards and metal racks and metal tables. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to absorb into anywhere. That's going to leak, it's going to roll, and it's going to run. So that gets on. So when you're you're doing chicken down at the end of the block in the meat shop, and then all of a sudden you got ground beef or you're doing steaks in the middle and all that, if that crosses, we got problems. And that's the same principle at home. Keep it free, keep it clear, and don't cross-contaminate. And one last thing, let's keep very, very, very close to our mind and close to our thoughts. Do not keep the barbecue house. Um, I've seen some, uh, I've actually got a buddy of mine that um, had a barbecue too close to the house and he had plastic siding and it melted. So give give yourself two to three feet. Uh, I think that's a recommendation on most everything. So yeah, I I had a similar situation to that. You know, I had my, my grill sitting next to the side of the house when we were cooking a turkey here a few years ago and I had not properly cleaned the soot out of the flue. And uh, in the heat of cooking that turkey hours into it, that soot that was in the flue caught on fire. And then uh, by the time I realized what was going on, everything was on fire. The turkey was on fire. The grill was on fire. And um, I I didn't suffer any damages except for a crispy fried bird. Uh, But uh, it could have gone sour quickly. So those are really good tips. Pappy, thank you so much for being on with us again today. Great safety tips for grilling. Um, We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, more job site safety. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. Man, thanks, Pappy. Uh, This week we did not get a recipe, but, you know, barbecue safety tips and cooking tips in general, um, you know, they're very important. Yep, I agree with that completely. I mean, I've literally, obviously, I told my story, right? I mean, it can be dangerous. And uh, I think that the time that it happens that you have a problem is when you're you're least aware, right? Right. Everything's cool. It's no problem. I've been doing this for a while. I'm good to go. And then, boom, it strikes. Right? See, I've always, uh, I've always been under the assumption that bad things happen when you say, "Hey, hold my beer." <laughs> yeah. Or, "Hey, check this out." Yeah. That has never failed me. <laughs> what does this button do? <laughs> hey, everybody, look at me! <laughs> Smash. <laughs> my wife would laugh at that because she knows. Here's a really good one, especially this time of year, Corey. This is a this is a really big deal. Um, People are stringing up lights, they're plugging in Christmas trees, a whole bunch of electrical type things that they're not normally using. And this is a time when the extension cords get pulled out, right? And get used to plug in all of those things that normally would not be plugged in. 
this is a great time to talk about electrical cord safety. Well, you know, you bring up a good point anyway, because electricity is probably one of the most dangerous things you can work with. Um, it can kill you with a moment's notice. Yeah, I mean, danger. It, you don't even know what's happening if you're doing the wrong thing. Um, it's it's very important. So let's talk a little bit about just electricity in general. You know, if you're ever dealing with electricity or if you're replacing, you know, like replacing a light or a light switch or a receptacle, um, always turn the power off. First and foremost, turn it off. At the electrical panel. At the electrical Not panel. Not at correct. the light switch. Yes. I mean, it's true that if you turn the light switch off, right, then there's no power to that, uh, except for when power is coming to that from, from another place. Right? Well, I'll tell you right now. That is highly possible. It happens. Just because it's off the light switch does not mean that there's a wire energized in that box. Right. Absolutely. The other thing is, is if you're ever working with electricity, make sure you're avoiding water. Make sure your hands are not wet. Make sure you're not standing in any sort of water. Yeah. It's just a bad idea for uh, obvious reasons. Yeah. And if you're dealing with uh, with an electric type situation and you're barefoot standing on a metal stool that's another sort of indicator that maybe this is not a good idea <laughs> uh, just in case something happens um check your cords you never want to use a cord that's frayed or where the the insulation is cut or or wires are exposed inside there or if the uh, ground like on a three-prong uh, cord if the ground is missing or if you've taken it off in order to plug it well, into which a, one is that tony you need to tell people the little round one, you know, everybody's used to the double plugs, a three-prong right. plug. The little round one at the bottom, that's the ground. Yeah, that's the ground. Sometimes people will take that off, remove that in order to <laughs> so, plug it into so it fits in a, a two-prong thing. Don't ever do that. And if you have if you have a cord that's got that used to have three prongs, but there's only two now, uh, that is not safe. It's and, time to retire that cord. Yeah, it's time to retire that. You if it's if it's missing the insulation, which is the color coded. Or the color, you know, plastic on the outside. Uh, that's meant to be there for a reason. You, you wouldn't want to use that for yeah, sure. Yeah, if you have an extension cord uh, that the end is charred, it's time to get rid of it. This actually happened to me. I had one of those retractable electrical uh, re uh, extension cords in my garage that I used all the time. And I was operating something that was probably too high of amps. It was pulling too much juice through it. And when I unplugged it, it was black and it was charred. I threw it out and I went and bought a new one. Um, it's just very important. Yeah, but I had the same situation, a similar situation. I have an electric heater that's in my family room. And I had the electric heater plugged into a surge protector where I had some other things plugged in. You know, you I only had one outlet back there and I had multiple plugs. And so I had plugged into a surge protector. Well, guess what, Corey? That surge protector was not capable of handling the amount of amps that my heater was pulling. And ultimately what happened is it heated up and melted. That could very well have been a house fire. I oh mean, yeah. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. You make sure that the cord that you're using is capable of handling the amperage that the appliance that you're plugging into it is going to require. Right. I actually know a little bit about this. Um, the amount of amps that your um, piece of equipment or whatever you have plugged into it draws is very important to the size of the cord that you're using. The length and the... and the Correct. Right. The longer the length, the, the larger the gauge of wire you need 
to pull the amount of juice you need through it. Um, if you have something that requires a lot of amps, like uh, 15 amps, say you have a, a piece of equipment that you're running that's 15 amps, and you want to plug it in 100 feet away, you need a 10-gauge extension cord for that. You know how heavy and expensive a 10-gauge 100-foot extension cord is? I, I do. It's about Ver 80 bucks. Very common gauge extension cords are 16, 14, uh, 12, 10. Um, that's really what I've seen. There's eight-gauge cords out, but those things are monsters. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, un they're not very normal. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the other thing. If you have a bunch of smaller extension cords, like the 16-gauge extension cords, don't daisy chain them together. No. Don't plug 10 of them in together so you can reach 100 feet. <laughs> yeah, it's not that a good is, idea. That is a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, here's another thing that's not good. Plugging your appliance into an extension cord for an extended period of time. Like if you set your saw up in a certain place in the garage and you plug it into an extension cord to get it to an outlet and then you leave it there and you continue to use it that way uh, for a long period of time, that's not a good idea. Uh, extension cords are intended to be used for uh, temporary. Yes, yeah, short periods of time. They're not intended to be used uh, permanently. So if you have something plugged into an extension cord that's in its permanent home, that needs to be plugged into an outlet. Well, and the reason is because they're made differently than uh, standard copper wire. Copper wire in a wall is solid. It's not being flexible. It's not being um, moved around. Extension cords are meant for exactly that. Extending your power for a short period of time because that flexibility in there allows them to do what they need to do, but they're not as reliable of power. Yeah. And if it's, they start cracking and breaking, uh, the, it's going to resist. And when it resists the electricity, it, they heat up, and that's when you have fires. An extension cord that's been compromised in any way at all is not something you want to take a chance on. Just replace it. Yeah, good wise words, Tony. <laughs> Thanks. You know, Tony, the last thing I wanted to say about extension cords is don't use uh, inside extension cords outside that are intended to be used indoors. Don't use them outdoors. And it'll say right on there, the outdoor ones have more insulation around the wires. Uh, they have a waterproof uh, or water-resistant uh, receptacles on, on either end. Uh, they're intended to be used outdoors. Um, and the other thing is don't staple them in place. Yeah, the same goes with your Christmas lights. Yeah, now is the time to be putting up Christmas lights. You know, don't be Clark Griswold using a staple gun. Uh, you don't want to do that. They, they're they not intended for that. And if you fray or uh, pierce. damage that, pierce that yeah. uh, casing around there, you're, you're asking for trouble. It yep. could cause a fire. And uh, really, it all comes down to it's just not safe. Right. You just got to be smart. Here's another thing that you can do to be smart. Now is a good time to replace the batteries in your smoke detectors and your carbon monoxide detectors in the house. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have an interesting story about uh, carbon monoxide sensors. Uh, we recently bought a travel trailer, but we were looking uh, at used ones. We spoke to a guy, and he said, you know, the, the carbon monoxide sensors in here work great. We know this because my son got up in the middle of the night, leaned against the stove, kicked it on full blast, had no idea, went right back to bed. Mm. And they woke up in the middle of the night with that alarm sensor going off and he said that the whole place smelled like natural gas yikes that so is scary those things are they're cheap yep cheap insurance 30 bucks 40 bucks for a good co2 sensor just install one yep keep batteries in them and they'll save your life 
All right, folks, that's all the time we got. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, we're talking about safety today, um, but if you haven't already, go check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Show, uh, or you can go to our uh, PAR page and go to par.com uh, and click on the Weekend Warriors link. Tony and I's email addresses are there if you want to send us a question or comment. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, email you back or even mention it on the air if you have a question. Uh, we get a lot of questions and uh, comments that we uh, we definitely appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Love to hear back from the listeners. Yeah, so before the break, we were talking about fire extinguishers and uh, the importance of using the proper fire extinguisher, uh, fire extinguisher, <laughs> fire extinguisher for the right scenario. Um, <laughs> what do you have, Tony, as far as how to inspect? I mean, those sorts of things. Like I have, I have a fire extinguisher in my garage. And I really have no idea if it's good. Should I test it? Should I? Well, obviously, you could call um, you could call somebody and have Fire Services Plus, for example, is the name of a company that tests fire extinguishers. And after it's been a certain amount of years old, right, it might not be a bad idea to have somebody test it. But you can check it regularly to make sure that it's ready to use um, in case uh, you need it for whatever reason. There's a there's a, a sort of a few points, four or five points of things that you can check uh, regularly. The first thing is it's got a gauge on the side, right? And the gauge is sort of a pressure gauge and there it's color coded kind of, there's a little green wedge on there. And if your needle is in the green area, right? Your gauge is in the green, then that's the first thing you wanna check, make sure it's there. If it's not in the green, it, maybe it's been partially used. Uh, some portion of it is gone, right? Potentially be something that you need to have refilled or, uh, or replaced. Um, the other thing to check, another thing to check is make sure that the pin is there. There's a pin that you have to pull out to release in order to squeeze the handle and discharge the fire extinguisher. You want to make sure that the pin is in place and it should be secured with a little plastic twisty tie or something that keeps it in place. That's important. Um, ensure that the hose is attached, uh, properly. There's a hose that comes off usually. And, um, and that hose could be loose, right? Or could come off easily. You want to make sure that it's attached properly. If you go to fire off that fire extinguisher and the hose is loose, you could end up with, uh, with a mess. <laughs> so tug on the hose, make sure that the hose is tight. And, um, and then of course, um, if you've got a dry chemical in your fire extinguisher, right, as opposed to water or some foam or something that's in there, they all have different stuff. And we'll talk about the different types of extinguishers. But if you've got a dry chemical in there, you want to turn it upside down and beat on the bottom of it with your hand, with the palm of your hand. Don't use a, a mallet or anything like that. Just beat on it with the bottom of your hand and then shake it vigorously. Make sure that it's not uh, setting up or clumping in the bottom of the extinguisher, which 
would not discharge properly when you go to use it. So mm. if it's been sitting for a long time, pick it up, check these things out, make sure that it's viable and working properly. If you're just not sure if it's working right, you can, of course, call a professional and have them check it out. But it's good to have a fire extinguisher. It's better to have a fire extinguisher that works properly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the key, and, right? And knowing how to use it, right? There is actually... Um, there's an acronym for how to use a fire extinguisher. I think the acronym is PASS, uh, P-A-S-S. Yeah, pull the pin to activate it. Yep. Uh, A is aim the extinguisher. Uh, S, squeeze the trigger. And uh, the other S is sweep at the base of the fire. Yeah, you want to always... most extinguishers. Right, you, you always want to point it at the base of the fire and then uh, a left to right sweeping motion is the best way to extinguish that fire. You know, Tony, there's actually five different types of fire extinguishers. You've got your class A, which is for uh, paper, cloth, and wood, uh, flammable things like that. Uh, there's a class B uh, for flammable liquids like gasoline, lacquer, grease, and any sort of solvents. Uh, there's a class C. Those are for electrical fires. It's actually a dry chemical. Uh, and then there's a class D, which we won't really talk about, but it's for very specific things like burning magnesium, titanium. It's very specific. Uh, and then there's a class K for kitchen fires. Yeah. Is there a, here, the one I'm not seeing here is the one, the class J. What's a class J? Class J. That's for getting fired from your job. Those <laughs> are job fires. <laughs> how, how do you put that out? Uh, not fall asleep. Yeah. Not fall asleep on the job. <laughs> Uh, there's also one more, which is a multi-purpose that's used for A, B, and C. It's dry chemical, and uh, that's another very common fire extinguisher. Yeah, each one of those fire extinguishers, you're probably going to see the most the most often. You're probably going to see that uh, that multi-purpose uh, fire extinguisher, but they do have different ones, and you probably should know the difference. So if you have that sort of fire going on, uh, you don't want to grab the wrong one. Like a pressurized water extinguisher, uh, you'll know it. It'll say Class A only, or sometimes it'll say pressurized water. Um, you would never want to use that on an electrical fire or in the, a kitchen or in the fire, kitchen, yeah. any sort of cooking oil. Yeah, I think we've all seen the videos of people putting frozen turkeys in hot vats of oil. <laughs> and what happens? I mean, that the water expands very quickly, turns into steam, and causes explosions yeah so you don't want to use those don't throw wire water on a grease fire that's uh, that's something i learned a long time ago yeah you know and then there's um carbon dioxide extinguishers that are uh, that use co2 those would be for class b or class c um, the dry chemical extinguishers are more for a b and c sometimes they're only for b and c style yeah, fires yeah. and then of course class k um those are a wet chemical, but they're very specific for the kitchen. I don't yeah. see the class J. Yeah, we got to, we got to, maybe we need to invent one of those <laughs> class J fire extinguisher. It's called a drug test and <laughs> <laughs> don't fall asleep on the job. Yeah, so it doesn't, it, it helps very much to know your fire extinguishers. It helps to have them on hand. It helps to know how to use them. Of course, it helps if they work properly. So, so check your fire extinguishers out. You definitely should have them. And uh, they definitely should be working properly. So that's uh, that's a good piece of advice. That's a good safety equipment to have on hand. Um, you know what we haven't talked about, Corey, honestly, is tool safety, right? 
you use tools. We talked about ladders a little bit. Properly safeguarding your tools. Tools are manufactured and they come with guards. Saws have guards. And, uh, and I think that sometimes we will disable or remove those guards in order to get those tools to do something that they maybe weren't meant to do. Uh, have you seen some of this going on? Uh, absolutely. Every day out on the job site, uh, I'll see guys pin their guards. Uh, they'll take a little wooden wedge and jam it in there. Um, it's a terrible idea. I actually have a, a, a friend of mine that I know uh, worked in the construction industry, no longer works in the construction industry because he pinned his guard and took his clum, his I'm sorry, his thumb clean off. Yikes! And uh, he doesn't. He no longer has it. It was non-attachable. Yeah. So it's very important. Those safety features are there for a reason. Um, don't disable them. Yeah, if your tool won't do what you want it to do because of the guard, there's probably a reason for that. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, more safety at the job site. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. If you haven't already, go check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash WW Home Show. Uh, like the page, or if you want to send us an email, you can go to par.com, click on the Weekend Warrior link, and uh, Tony and I's email addresses are there. You can send us a question or comment if you like. Uh, today in the show, we're talking about safety. Safety around your shop, safety around your house, uh, different projects that you're working on. And you especially need to be safe when working with power tools, especially big power tools like a table saw. Uh, I often use my table saw and I have a pretty good list of things, checklist of things that I like to think about every time I turn it on. Yep. Safety awareness, understanding where the dangers are and knowing to steer clear of them and operate the tool the way that it's supposed to be operated. You know, they give you safety tips uh, when you buy a new tool, but nobody reads that, right? Nobody pays attention to those types of things, but you need to know what the dangers are and avoid them at all costs. So we're going to go over a little list of things that you should try to avoid when using, uh, like, for example, a table saw. Yeah. So the first one, the most, you know, that a lot of people probably don't know about is don't wear gloves when operating a table saw. You, you lose that um the feel the feel of touch yeah when you wear gloves and uh, if they're too loose sometimes they can get caught as you're pushing things through a table saw it can catch uh even uh you know if it catches your hand and holds you up a little bit sometimes it can cause problems and the your material can ride up on the blade and shoot right back at you yeah yeah it's very unsafe um keep the area around your table saw clean uh, any cutoffs, uh, put them aside, 
Don't leave, don't work with anything else on your table saw. If you're like me, sometimes you use your table saw as a workbench because yeah. it's very flat. Um, but don't leave anything there. I can't even tell you how important this is. And I know I told you about this uh, um, between segments. Um, as an EMT basic, I did a, a ride along with Metro West Ambulance and we pulled up on a job site uh, or up onto a house where a guy had been in the backyard using his table saw to cut wood. And uh, he was cutting off small pieces and uh, letting the pieces that he was cutting off fall onto the ground. And as he continued to cut, uh, at some point, he stepped on one of the pieces, one of the pieces he had cut off, lost his balance, fell forward, cut off all of his fingers. Oh, my goodness. Four fingers, split second, just like that. And, uh, you know, we ended up collecting his fingers and taking him to OHSU where uh, he had to be... uh, hopefully having them reattached of course we don't get to hear about that but it happens so fast and that's horrible keeping a clear footing on the ground around the tool especially a table saw is paramount i can't even tell you how important it is uh so yeah i i, I feel that one really uh close to my heart that one well you know keeping the ground clear and like i said any any sort of uh tool other tools or equipment that you stack on your table saw sometimes uh, get those away Another thing is keeping the actual surface of your table saw clean and smooth. Um, It's actually recommended to polish the top of your table saw because when you're running wood through it, um, and people know this, if you've ever heard the term, uh, the most dangerous blade is a dull blade, Mm -hmm. it's very similar with a table saw. Uh, if If you have a sticky, dirty surface, Uh, like maybe some rust spots or anything on there like that, or some wood pitch. Um, If you're trying to push wood through and it's sticky and catching, it's very dangerous. Same thing if you're running uh, wood through with a dull saw blade. You don't want to do that. Replace the saw blade regularly, and it it will cut better for you and be more safe. A sharp blade is a safe blade. Yeah. Uh, Here's another little tip. Um, they make tools for you to use with your tools. And, and an example of that is a is a push stick, right? The table saw that I have came with a plastic push stick and actually a place to uh, fasten it right onto the front of the table saw so it's always in front of me. I never lose it. Uh, use a push stick or a push tool to move product through the table saw as you're cutting it. Using your hands uh, while it seems easier or faster um, is not the way to go. The simplest little wrong move Uh, results in you losing a finger well and keep in mind that's only for really tight cuts if you're within six inches let's say uh, you would want to use a push stick anything wider than that it's actually more safe to use your hands right Um, but again using a tool with a tool there's another tool out there called a feather board you can make them or you can buy them uh, that actually go into the slots on your table saw and they're angle cut they're they're kind of they're hard to describe. They're they're like um, a fan of plastic or wood, and they are angled with the grain of the way you're cutting. So they kind of they go tight against your wood piece that you're cutting, and as you push it through, those feathers uh, bend, and it keeps the wood flush against your rip fence. Mm, smart, and it doesn't allow it to bind. Right, that's really the key. Yeah, another thing to prevent. Uh, your table saw from binding or the or the piece that you're working with is to make sure that your rip fence 
is parallel with your blade. Mm, right. Um, if your rip fence is off by, you know, a little bit, a quarter of an inch, even an eighth of an inch, uh, you're running it through there, it'll tend to push the piece of wood closer to the uh, the blade. Yeah. Which will cause it to bind, yep. which will cause you to push harder, which will cause the piece of wood to want to fly out back at you. Yeah. Um, which brings me to my next point. Uh, you think about the guard that's on a table saw. And a lot of times, most of the time, a guard is combined with an anti-kickback device that's on there. These sort of teeth-looking things that are on there. Uh, you might remove the guard so that you can move something through there that's a little bit thicker. But the problem is without the anti-kickback device, uh, you could end up with that piece of wood right back in your chest. And uh, that can be supremely dangerous. Yeah, if your piece of wood or your table saw comes with that device, I would leave it on. Uh, my table saw did not. I have a, a more of a cabinet saw. Um, it's it just depends on how you operate and those sorts of things. But I have been hit by a, a piece of wood that my that rode up. It was a piece of plywood I was ripping, and it rode up, rode that saw blade right back into my stomach. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't get terribly hurt, but it. It, comes, it did hurt. It comes back with some serious force. There's no Absolutely. Doubt. Here's another little tip. If you're changing the blade or doing any kind of maintenance on your table saw at all, make sure that it's unplugged. Um, it is. It can be easy, depending on the style of saw that you've got or how old it is. It can be easy to trip that on switch. Sometimes it's a, it's an up and down flip switch. And uh, if your knee bumps that or, or something while you're working with that, uh, that can also be dangerous. Unplug the saw any type of a tool that you're doing any maintenance on at all, make sure it's unplugged from the wall so that you don't accidentally trip the switch and end up uh, injuring yourself. Here's another one. When you're ripping things on your table saw, don't stand in line with the blade. Stand on one side of the other. Uh, the other thing with that blade comes sawdust, and it will blow right back into your face if you're standing in line with it, which can cause more problems. Um, with, along with changing the blade, Tony, one thing to keep in mind um, make sure that the blade turns freely. After you have installed your new blade, make sure that it actually turns freely. Because when the, if you plug it back in and you turn it back on and something's bound up, that can cause big problems. Yeah. Because that, that saw has a lot of horsepower. You know, some of the bigger saws, you know, they're pulling a lot of juice and they can, they can kick out some serious pain yeah which reminds me it's very good to give your tool whatever tool it is you're using give it a really good inspection before you start using it make sure it does not bound up with sawdust or other types of debris uh, make sure it's clean and and ready to go before you start it up well make sure the wood that you're cutting too is free of nails or any other metal staples anything like that that can cause big problems if you're running that through your table saw yeah yikes tear up your blade or honestly worse Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Mr. Barbecue on, and then we're going to wrap up the rest of our safety show. You won't want to miss it. Don't go away. Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, 
Here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for staying with us. Today on the show, Tony and I are talking about safety. Yep. Uh, safety practices. But right now, we, we before the break, we were talking about safety equipment. Uh, the most basic. Everybody should own these safety glasses. Yep, that's right. It's the easiest thing to put on. And you know what? The, the They do not impair your vision at all. And uh, there's not any reason why you wouldn't wear them. Just get them. Keep them handy. And, and and wear them. Wear them whenever you're operating any kind of equipment. A saw, a drill, um, I mean, just a hammer. I mean, just get used to wearing them when you're working. Mm-hmm. And then you won't have a problem. Your eyes are, uh, your eyes would be a terrible thing to waste. Here's one that uh, I actually recently started uh, really paying attention to. Hearing protection. What was that? <laughs> hearing protection. It's probably what most of our listeners do when the show comes on. <laughs> they put their hearing protection on. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a very good idea because prolonged um, exposure to anything over 90 decibels will cause hearing loss. Uh, and you got to think, most tools that you're running, a uh, table saw, if you're running any kind of circular saw, those things are loud, way over 90 decibels. And if you're using them a lot, it will cause hearing damage. Yep. Where I really started noticing a difference is when I was using uh, my fine tool. It's an oscillating tool. Well, it runs at a really high uh, frequency. And when you have bits and there are blades that you're cutting like, uh, say, nails or pieces of wood, I mean, it it is so loud. It's deafening. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to me now. I wear hearing protection and... Uh, you can buy them those earmuffs for really cheap. Yeah, it's I mean, not expensive. Fifteen bucks. Yep, not expensive. Uh, not n- not nearly uh, as expensive as you will uh, you would spend on hearing aids. I guarantee it. the 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 money you'll spend on hearing aids because you didn't wear these far exceeds whatever you would have ever spent on hearing protection. Uh, it's just one of those things you've got to just do it. You well, have to buy it and you have to use it. If you don't use it, you're not you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, and if you don't really do a lot of work, buy earplugs. Earplugs are twenty five yeah, yeah, cents. Yeah, fifteen a pair. cents cheap. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not any fun having to do that, but the fact is, it's also not a big deal. It's easy to grab and put on your body. It's just a matter of conditioning yourself to do it. It's important. Um, here's another big one, Corey. If if you're sanding or if you're painting or staining, anything that has going to um that is going to have particulates that are in the air, you should be using uh, either a dust mask or a respirator. You shouldn't be breathing that stuff in. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, honestly, Corey, and we'll talk about this a little later in the show, um, is uh, fiber cement siding. Fiber cement siding is very popular now. Um, Hardy is one brand. Uh, Certainty is another brand. There's a lot of brands of of fiber cement siding. When you cut that stuff, it it uh, the dust from it actually has silica sand in it. it. Results in a super fine dust that you do not want to be breathing in. Absolutely not. You want to filter that and make sure that that's not going into your body. So um, think about that ahead of time when you're starting a project. What cutting are you going to be doing, and what kind of a what kind of a dust particulate is that going to 
result in? And do you really want that inside your body? Well, you know, growing up, the last many years of my life, I've been doing projects. And uh, as a younger person, I neglected all of these things. Hearing protection, eye protection, you know, lung protection. Lung protection, I mean, these, yeah. are, these are the basics. And I'll tell you what, the lung protection, the respirator masks, I, don't, I, I can't live without those things. I don't climb in my attic without wearing my, my dust mask or my respirator because the fiberglass particulates in the air destroy me. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. down for days yeah. coughing them up. You're a prime example because you suffer a little bit from asthma, from asthma mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take nearly as much to set you on your heels mm -hmm. as it would somebody else. Um, but the fact is, it's the same damage that's being done. You're hypersensitive to it because of your asthma, but it's the same damage that's being done. If I'm in the same room with you and I'm not wearing a dust mask, um, I'm I'm getting that same amount of stuff inside my body. It just isn't as it just isn't as apparent to me right now because I'm not hypersensitive yeah, to it. Yeah, any like sheetrock, um, old dust. I mean, if you're doing any sort of demolition in your house, oh yeah, you know, if especially if your house was built before 19. 77, I think it's 1977, prior to that, uh, you have to really worry about lead. Oh, yeah. And you can test things, and you might find things, or even asbestos. You know, so if you're tearing, you're doing some demo work, and you've done the tests, and on the surface, there's no lead, and there's no asbestos. Well, as you dig in the layers, you know, you don't know what's under there. Yeah. It's so much better to wear a respirator mask. Absolutely. I agree. And you know, I, I've it, that's been one of my downfalls. One of the things that I don't prioritize, but whenever I'm working on a project with you, you always have that available for me. Uh, and I appreciate that. So that's definitely one that is important. Here's another good one. I mean, just gloves to protect your fingers. You know, there are honestly times to wear gloves and times not to wear gloves. Here's a prime example. If you're moving concrete blocks from one place to another, wear gloves. <laughs> You'll think, oh, I'm not going to need gloves. But man, you pick up about 10 or 15 blocks and that starts to rip the skin off of your hands and you won't realize how much it hurts until you've already done the damage. And by that time, you'll be thinking, man, why didn't I put gloves on? I literally have said to you, Corey, man, why didn't I put gloves on? And oh, you're I like, know. I don't know. I gave them to you. Where are they in your back pocket? Put gloves on. Typically, when I throw a work party, if I have friends over to help me, I buy myself a pair of gloves and my my helpers, yeah. the people that are coming to help, I buy gloves for them. Yeah. I mean, because you got to think, they're so cheap. I mean, you could buy those stretchy uh, gloves with the latex kind of embedded on them. I don't know what those are called. Yeah. Uh, but they're fantastic. They fit super snug. You barely know they're there, uh, but it protects your hands so well. Yep. Uh, you just, but you got to be careful. If you're working with any sort of equipment uh, to make sure that you're wearing gloves that fit, but if you're using anything like a saw or anything like that, you do not want to wear gloves. Right. Because it, it can grab... Working parts. Yeah. Or anything kind of moving parts. It can grab and tear. Yeah, there's a time to wear gloves, and then there's a time to put them down. Um, but if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're doing those things that are grimy and dirty and, and rough and tumble, have those gloves on. But when you're working with a a machine or something that's a little bit more delicate, uh, you know, take them off, put them in your pocket, but definitely consider whether or not gloves are right for this project and have them on hand. Yeah. You know, another silly one, um, is work boots. A lot of people don't think about it. 
But I'll tell you what, if you're doing any sort of heavy work and you're using tennis shoes and you're, you know, kicking pieces of wood around and, you know, kicking fence posts and doing those sorts of things, you will know a huge difference when you start working in a pair of work boots. Yeah, you don't have to have steel-toed boots in order to in order to protect your toes from the majority of the stuff that you're working through. And same with uh, stepping on a nail. If you're wearing a pair of boots versus a pair of tennis shoes, uh, that nail is going to more easily, so much more easily, find its way through that tennis shoe and into the bottom of your foot than it would a work boot. So uh, work boots with reinforced toes. They don't have to be steel toes, but reinforced toes and ankle protection. Comes up a little bit higher, and you lace those babies tight, and you're not rolling your ankles as easily, and uh, you're not hurting your toes. It's, it's very important. I totally agree. You know, Tony, the last thing on my list is would be a hard hat. You know, you don't use a hard, you won't need a hard hat as often. You know, if you're working out in your yard, I'm not going to suggest wearing a hard hat around. But, you know, if you're working overhead, if you're doing demolition, um, I guarantee you, you will be happy if wearing a hard hat, especially if something falls down and smashes you. You know what happened to me, Tony, when we were demoing my kitchen ceiling? I, w- I had the, the crowbars, I had the, the hammers swinging, and I tell you what, things were falling. They were smashing me in my head, and I didn't wear my hard hat, and I was <laughs> I'm mad that I didn't. <laughs> we actually had something fall, and it hit so hard that it smashed one of my windows. Yeah. Yeah, there was. They can get out of hand quickly. You're, you know, you're getting through this part of the project where you just want to get it done so you can move on to the next step. And, uh, and things happen very quickly. The only thing you can do to protect yourself is think ahead of time, am I wearing the proper stuff? And a hard hat has its place. Yeah, you might have other people on the job site laughing. They might say, man, look at this nerd wearing a hard hat. But you know what? You won't be laughing when your head is protected when something falls. Yeah, you don't want to be headed to the hospital. You don't want to be that person. Okay, we're going to cover some more safety tips around the home. When we come back, you're listening to Tony and Corey. Your Weekend Warriors will be right back. Hey, thanks for staying with us. Today on the show, we're talking about safety. And uh, we kind of was going over, uh, before the break, we were talking about some of the basic safety equipment, uh, including uh, ear protection, eye protection, lung protection, feet, hands. Uh, You know, there was another one that I forgot, uh, and it's knee pads. Oh yeah, knee pads is a good one. I've installed uh, several hardwood floors. I've installed floating hardwood floors. Uh, at your house, we installed hardwood floors. And I'll tell you what, when you're working on your hands and knees, knee pads are a must. Absolutely. Agreed. That will save you um, That will save you so much pain and recovery time if you uh, 
if you just put the knee pads on and use them, you while you may still be sore, you will be a lot less sore and you'll recover more quickly. Here's another one, Corey. If you're using a chainsaw, right? Um, another good thing to have is chaps. Chaps to protect. Uh, and you know what? I mean, in some cases, even a skill saw. I mean, it can be, uh, those things can be a little bit unwieldy sometimes, but uh, for sure, a chainsaw, if you're using a chainsaw, chaps is a good thing to have. Yeah, you know how chainsaw chaps work? I, I, I think that they protect your legs because they, if you chainsaw grab, you know, gets down on there, it bounces off of it instead of uh, chewing up your leg. Yeah, it actually uh, works because inside of uh, those chaps are layers of strands. And when the chainsaw rips, those strands come out. It allows them to like tear apart and it slows the chainsaw down and almost brings it to a stop. Wow. It's kind of crazy how those things work. Uh, they're not necessarily cut proof. They actually cut pretty easily. It's those strands uh, that, that tighten up, that pull it out like spaghetti almost. Interesting. That's very cool. Well, I know they save you from cutting your leg off. So that's. Uh, yeah, that's you know, important. we actually know somebody. Uh, that almost cut his leg off with a chainsaw a couple of years ago. Uh, he was operating, and uh, it he's a he's used a chainsaw his whole life. Yikes. And he was operating, and it slipped. Yeah. And uh, he's very, very lucky because it cut pretty bad, but he was able to uh, make his way to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've seen a lot of that. I mean, here's the thing. They could have an entire show about when tools attack. You know, Corey and I worked together uh at the one of our par lumber yards um, years ago, and uh, and we saw somebody um, who had trouble with a with a chop saw. You know, sometimes if uh, if you just aren't familiar with the tool or you haven't been um, using a tool like that very much, those things can um, those things can jump out and grab you. Yeah, and, they absolutely. Uh, can. And you got to be super careful. Make sure that you're wearing all of your safety equipment. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what happens if an accident does happen. Do you have some tips on the first things you should do? I mean, you used to be kind of a first responder, yeah, a volunteer firefighter. What are yep. some of the things you learned uh, that could help some people if they were to get in an accident or have something happen? Well, my first piece of advice, of course, is to have have some sort of uh, first aid kit on hand, right? I think if you're working at home or uh, if, or even at somebody else's house, probably there is some of that stuff, right? People have kids or or whatever. They generally have that sort of stuff built in. I have tons of Dora the Explorer Band-Aids. Yeah. I'm not sure those would help. Well, you know, there, uh, there are a few very common injuries that take place in these types of situations. Anyways, it's good to have a first aid kit. First aid kit should obviously have things for treating cuts and scrapes, um, for burns, um should have stuff in there for splinters and blisters and stings. Um, doesn't hurt to have something in there for sprains and strains and even uh, the occasional headache or neck ache, right? Um, so it, it's definitely have an idea of what types of accidents you're, you're willing to try to treat at home, right? And uh, have that kind of stuff in your first aid kit, band-aids, um, an anti bacterial salve, right? Like Neosporin, um, burn tr treatment, burn, uh, cream for burns. Um, all that stuff, you know, think about all those things and have them in a kit that's readily available. Yeah. Know where it's at. That's really the key, right? Make sure that it's stocked. Having it together. And be willing to 
take it upon yourself to do that, right? I mean, if you're going to if you're going to turn around and run away screaming, if you see somebody's cut their finger, right, then it's not doing you any good to have a first aid kit. You got to be willing to use it, right? And so um, have that stuff on hand. And and again, this goes back to the very first thing we talked about was awareness or anticipating danger. If you're anticipating the possibility that somebody could get injured, you need to have the means of, of treating it and then uh and then have the willingness to to jump in and get involved. Yeah. But um, again, you know, like I said before, you got to have it all together in one spot. Right. You got to have the kit. You know, a lot of those ones you buy online are cool. Uh you could they come in a little box or bag uh that you can store somewhere. Uh but I even go a step further and we have a tote, a small tote. Uh and in that tote are that uh, goes above and beyond we have, you know, ace bandages and large bandages and tons of an array of band-aids, yeah. you know, and the different things that go along with um, any sort of injury. Yeah. I mean, we have that in a tote. You know, some of those kits are kind of, you know, you get a patch, you know, you get, you get <laughs> yeah. one large bandage, you know, and yeah. I don't know, you know, once you use it, you're like, oh, well, I, I use that, but now what? Yeah. So it's a good idea to keep them stocked. Keep them refilled. Yeah, get a decent size uh, first aid kit. The three by threes, four by fours. You want to have uh, gauze. You want to have ace bandages. Again, we talked about burn cream and well, but not even you know job site safety. It's good to have that you know in case of any kind of other natural disaster emergency. We talk about this on the show all the time. You know earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, snowstorms. You know the power goes out and you and you have some sort of uh, natural disaster where you've been injured. And, you know, it's good to have these things in a good supply of them uh, stocked, ready to go. Yeah. What yeah. about what about if you, somebody falls or breaks an arm or sprains an ankle? I mean, what yeah. do you do there? A lot of times you're not going to be able to tell, right? You're not going to be able to tell if it's broken or not broken. I've had that question. I have two daughters, right? I've had that question asked from me a hundred times. Oh, is it broken? You're not going to be able to tell. If it hurts bad enough that, uh, I mean, well, that's not true. In some cases, you'll be able to tell. If it's if there's an de- obvious deformity there, then you're going to be able to tell. But um, what you definitely want to do is you want to you want to ice it, right? You want to raise it, uh, get a good compression on it, and um, and obviously elevate it, right? So that, that's what you want to do in case you don't know is it fractured or is it broken or is it sprained, right? Um, I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna use that next time I need a break. Tell my wife, oh, I sprained my ankle. Help me. And I can elevate it on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Rest is the oh, first I thing. I think yeah. I need some popcorn, honey. There's an acronym there. It's it's rice. Rest, rice. Rest, ice, um, compression, and elevation. Hmm. So for a sprain or a strain, right? Um, but, uh, you know, if welling persists and uh, and it's really hurting a lot, you just need to go see the doctor. Might have to x-ray it. But, uh, yeah, I've seen some of that stuff. Anyway, just be prepared. It's just about being prepared, right? And uh, like you said, don't get one of those little uh, $2.50 kits. Get, you know, put something together. Put some thought into it. Know what you'd be willing to treat and put all that stuff together in a good size kit and be able to deal with it. Yeah, like I said, the kits are cool. You can buy them for $20, $30 bucks on, uh, online on Amazon. But, I mean, seriously, go to Rite Aid. Walk in the first aid aisle. There's, there's an entire aisle dedicated to it. You know, get all of those things you need and keep them. Super easy. Agreed. That's a good plan. 
Um, so you've got your first aid kit. That was, uh, I think that was the last one. Uh, no, we have, uh, we have some more safety equipment that you should have on hand. Here's another really good one. We'll talk about this in some more depth, um, going forward, but a fire extinguisher. Everybody's got fire extinguishers, right? But do they, ha do they know how, how to test them, how, how, how to make sure that they're still viable? Do they have an expiration date? And uh, using the right extinguisher for the right scenario. Let's talk about more about fire extinguishers right after this break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. We'll be right back. 